Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. Welcome to the show. It's the beginning of March, and whenever March comes in, everybody starts thinking about taxes. And tonight, uh, I'm really happy to welcome back to the show Mike Davolio, who's Intuit Senior Tax Analyst. Mike was on the show uh, last year when we first started out. It was really uh, an interesting evening. And he's back again to talk about how we can legally avoid some of these onerous taxes. And if you read the uh, uh, president's bill last uh, yesterday that he presented to Congress for the budget, uh, their plans are for even more taxes. But as we always do with all of our guests, we first ask Mike a little bit about himself and his background. So we got a little bit. Mike, welcome to the program. Thank you, Don. Great to be here. As Don said, I'm a senior tax analyst with Intuit's professional tax group, and I worked with uh, Intuit since 1987, and I've been a small business tax expert for more than 20 years. I'm a CPA, and I hold a BS in business administration and a JD from Boston University. Well, thank you. That's a great introduction. So, Mike, uh, we're here. March started. How can we, uh, what have you seen, or what can we do to at least legally avoid some of these, these taxes or some of the things that you've seen that, that uh, can help small business owners keep more of their money? Okay, glad, glad to go into it, and I have a nice grocery list here. Hopefully we won't get into too much detail, but you're right, we have tax season just around the corner. Uh, one tip up front, uh, pledge to start collecting and organizing your tax records, documents, QuickBook files prior to the filing deadline on April 15th so that you can avoid a last-minute scramble and potential fees and penalties. So today I'm going to cover the best ways you can save some major compliance headaches uh, come April. Uh, the first item I'm going to go, go into is uh, the difference between an employee and an independent contractor. It might be tempting to classify an employee as an independent contractor because of the cost savings involved, but we say please don't do so. There are strict rules surrounding the proper classification of a worker and also steep penalties for failure to apply the law correctly. Some interesting statistics. Some businesses misclassify an estimated 10 to 60% of their workers as independent contractors. And nearly 30% of firms misclassify some of their contractors. So there's a lot of uh, activity in the area, and I'm going to go into um, a few tips on, on how you can make the proper classification. If you answer yes to any of the following questions, you're likely hiring a W-2 employee and not a 1099 independent contractor. Okay, number one, will the work be performed on company premises? Number two, will the individual work only for you and not others? Number three, will you provide tools and training for your worker? And lastly, do you control the hours that the person works? So if you answer yes on any of those, you have a W-2 employee and not a 1099 independent contractor. Mike, can I interrupt you here and ask a question on that because it came up recently in, in a talk I had, 
But uh, your third one, which you, you talked about uh, offering training, uh, uh, what do you mean by that? Because, uh, for instance, if you hire a part-time person uh, to manage your accounting system, for instance, um, you have to train them on your system. Uh, what do you mean by training? Uh, it, it really came up, and I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, you know, that one can probably – I haven't researched it in depth, but that one can probably cut uh, both ways because I guess with some of these independent contractors, some some training might be involved. But So um, you probably have to look at it a little closer. Do you provide tools and training uh, for the worker? I don't think it's a, a black and white yes and no, but um, it's like oh, it's a one indicator uh, uh, about whether the person can be a uh, an independent contractor or, or employee. Well, yeah, uh, the, the other one, if I may, just ask a little uh, deeper on that one, because it also applies for Obamacare, as you know, with the, the part-time, how many employees you have, et cetera. But uh, the fourth one you mentioned, um, uh, uh, they work on your direction. For, for instance, uh, my webmaster is a contract employee. I, I don't, you know, I tell him what I want done, but he's in, Rhode Island, I'm in New Jersey, uh, and he certainly works for other people, but what he, but I certainly tell him what to do. Uh, again, I, I don't know how much of an expert you are on it, but um, I was just wondering, would he qualify as a full as an employee then? Yeah, I think um, the, the control is, uh, I think some of these, there are some gray areas because um, with some independent contractors, you are going to uh, detail the work for them. Um, so I, I think you have to look at these uh, the, all these four tests um, collectively, and there could be some gray areas. I don't uh, have the specifics on it. We'd have to delve into it a little bit deeper. Well, so unfortunately, well, I'd have to I'd have to look that one up. No, no problem, uh, Mike. I, uh, uh, I just uh, I, I'm just curious. God knows I know just enough IT to be dangerous. But um, uh, and all I can tell him is this is what I want to do, and then he does it. So that's it. But let's go on. I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's good. So let's go on. Your next thing. No, no, that, that's a good question. And I think, I think the good takeaway here would be is um, probably look into it and do some research and determine uh, whether that person uh, qualifies or not because um, there are some pitfalls if you just make a, a snap judgment and uh, determine that he's an independent contractor. Okay, so as, as we move on uh, for employees, as you probably know, you need to withhold taxes, pay payroll taxes, and then file the W-2. And the W-2 is used to report wages, and it's filed with the employee as well as the Social Security Administration. And then on the other hand, for independent contractors, such as attorneys and accountants, uh, no withholding is required, but you, also, but you do need to provide the contractor and the IRS with a 1099 MISC, short for miscellaneous, 10, 1099 MISC. And the form is required when you make payments of $600 or more for services performed. And there's a convenient elect, there are con, elect, convenient electronic services like Intuit's 1099 e-file that pre-fill your information and enable you to email or print forms for your contractors. And this will help you avoid running to the office supply to um, office supply store to, to purchase them. So th those are kind of the distinctions between the, the 1099 uh, person as well as the uh, the W-2. Any any other questions before we move in to the next? No, tip? you're on a roll, Mike. Uh, don't let me interrupt you. Okay, just as a general matter, you're allowed to deduct the cost of running your business as long as the expenses are ordinary and necessary. You can't deduct personal living, uh, family expenses. However, if you have an item that's used both for business and personal expenses uh, purposes, such as a vehicle, you're allowed to allocate the expense and deduct the business portion, except for commuting miles, which are not deductible. You want to be sure to document the expenses and retain any receipts just in case there's a, an audit down the road from the IRS. A good place to refer to is IRS Publication 535. For tax deductions you may have overlooked, 
such as out-of-town business travel costs and depreciation on your business automobile or truck. Any more questions before I move on to the next tip? No, Mike. It's a nice, concise, and I'd much rather leave the mic open for you. Okay, great. Okay, under the Affordable Care Act, there's a, a generous tax credit that is available to small businesses that offer health insurance to employees. And in fact, this one's been on the books for several years now. When, when the ACA was installed several years ago, they uh, implemented this provision at the outset. And to qualify, the small business must have less than or equal to 25 employees with an average salary of less than or equal to $50,000, and the company must cover at least 50% of the premiums in order to qualify for the credit. And for 20, 2013, the maximum credit is equal to 35% of the premiums paid. And then next year, in 2014, the percentage goes up to 50% of the premiums paid. So just a quick example here. If we have a small business owner that pays $5,000 towards an employee's health insurance plan, and the employer qualifies for the maximum 35% credit, the savings from claiming the credit would equal $1,750. So that's pretty generous, and it's basically subsidizing uh, the insurance that a small business owner may provide for employees. Mike, let me interrupt you. That is a great program, yet it seems not to be catching on with small businesses. Do you have any reason why, any idea why? Uh, I know it's not huge, but it's such a great program. Yet uh, I just saw some figures last week uh, that indicate less than uh, 3% of eligible companies are, are taking advantage of it. You're correct, and I, I heard those stats as well. The IRS uh, came out and said that, that the usage of the, the credit form was really low. And some of the reasons I heard, one was an awareness thing. Uh, companies were not aware of this uh, provision. I think they were expecting um, the Affordable Care Act to be implemented in 2014, so they didn't realize this one provision started much earlier. And then uh, another reason is um, the complexity. Uh, the form is just uh, has a, a ton of paperwork associated with it, so I'm not sure companies might be uh, shying away for that reason. And then lastly, uh, they they may not qualify, and they may not have enough qualifying employees to um, have them be have the company be eligible for the credit. So that's a few things out there. We'll just have to see. Uh, hopefully, we'll pick up some steam as we move forward. Thank you. Please go on, Mike. This is fascinating and interesting to me, and I hope to our audience. Okay, I appreciate it. Okay, the next topic we'll go into, um, not too much in depth, but uh, what the appetite anyway. It deals with retirement plans, and there are a variety of retirement plans available to small businesses. They used to call them the Keo plan. Um, now they call them qualified plans, and they're, set, they're called the SEP or the 401k. Uh, contributions made by the owner for himself or herself and for employees can be deducted. And the earnings on the contributions grow tax-free until the money is distributed. There's a few variations like the Roth IRA that handle, gets handled a little differently. Uh, in general, contributions to these retirement plans can be made up until the due date of the tax return. That's an interesting one. As we approach April 15th, uh, the small business owner can invest money in a plan after year end and still take a deduction on the prior tax return, 2013 in this case. So they can go all the way up until April 15th, make a contribution, and receive a deduction on the 2013 tax return. Uh, the small business owner is also allowed a tax credit equal to 50% of the first $1,000 incurred in starting up a plan. So if they have a new plan, the government's going to give them a little break for just establishing the, brand, the uh, plan. Now, that one I hadn't heard of. That's good. some good news for people. Yeah, Please. that last credit you're referring yeah. to? Yes. Yep. Yeah, that one's been on the books. I think it, um, the government obviously wants to encourage uh, companies to uh, establish plans, so they give them a little uh, perk right here with that tax credit. Please continue, Mike. Uh, again, it's all information we need. 
Okay, here's a new one that uh, came on the books this year. The IRS now provides a simplified calculation for figuring the deduction for using your home for business use. It simplifies the calculation and record-keeping requirements. It doesn't change the criteria for who may claim the deduction. A portion of the home must still be used exclusively and on a regular basis for business purposes. So under this new simplified method in general, you'll figure the deduction by multiplying the area of the home that's used for business, multiply that by $5 up to a maximum deduction of $1,500. And under this method, uh, the allowable home-related itemized deductions such as mortgage interest expense and real estate taxes can still be claimed on Schedule A. So there, there was always a lot of headaches around this uh, business use of home, a lot of record keeping and uh, the calculations involved. So the government decided to uh, give people a, a shorthand method for uh, calculating the deduction. And this is it here. Well, that's good news. I thought, uh, uh, that, home, <coughs> that home office one has always been a bugaboo for me. But uh, that's good news. Please, again, keep on. Yeah, this I think, you know, I... I, I think ta with with this one, you're probably still going to want to um, take the better of the two, the actual method or the simplified. So, if you can run the numbers or run some software, you might want to look at to see uh, which method is going to yield the better result. But uh, it is a good shorthand method to to save you uh, some time and trouble. That's good to hear. Please, could, again, just keep going, Mike. You're on a roll. Okay. There's a um, under, underpayment penalty involved when a business doesn't pay the estimated taxes for the for the next year on time. So it's important to plan ahead by running projections of your income and expenses and also looking at tax law changes. For small businesses that file a Schedule C along with the 1040, the first estimate for 2014 taxes is due the same day that your tax return is due for 2013, and that's on this coming April 15th. So a company's going to want to crunch some numbers and uh, lock in those est the first estimate uh, by running the appropriate projections. That's good. That's that's good advice, uh, Mike. Please don't stop. Just keep going. You, you have every you, you have my interest, and I hope the uh, the ear of the audience. So keep going. Okay, under the. Um, Last year we had the American Taxpayer Relief Act, and it was signed on uh, last January 1st, 2013, and there were some tax changes involved. Uh, the first one here is uh, we had tax rate increases for high-income taxpayers. So for ordinary income, the government inst installed a new 39.6% tax rate that applies to income above certain thresholds. And for joint filers, and that includes uh, it would include folks who file a Schedule C along with the 1040. So for joint filers, that threshold is 450000 So for the high-income folks, there's a new 39.6% uh, tax rate. And then um, for investment income on the 1040, capital gains and dividends, the top rate rises from 15%, which is already in place. It rises up to 20% uh, for income over certain thresholds. And... The same threshold here applies uh, for the capital gains as it did for the ordinary income, and that's 450000 for joint filers. Well, don't you just love it? They called it the Taxpayer Relief Act, yet they raised the taxes. <laughs> there were, I'm going to keep going here because under the Affordable Care Act that was installed several years ago, there's even some more tax hikes that hit for 20, tax year 2013, and these are surtaxes uh, that were uh, put in place in order to pay for the Affordable Care Act. So we have, um, there were two of these involved. Uh, the first one is a, it's a 0.9%, so almost one percentage point, of an additional Medicare tax, and it applies to wages and self-employment income over certain threshold amounts. And this threshold amount is, for joint filers, $250,000. And that one has, that, that surtax has a counterpart for uh, not earned income, but net investment income. There's a 3.8% a tax on the lesser of, this gets a little tricky, 
it's on the lesser of net investment income uh, or the excess of modified adjusted gross income over a threshold amount, and it's 250000 for joint filers. And in this bucket, we're not including uh, self-employment income, earned income, or wages, but it's including investment income such as interest, dividends, and capital gains. So that's almost a, a 4% uh, surtax on investment income over a threshold amount. And, and they actually, to, you go, go ahead. No, no, no I was, was just going to say there. Uh, I was going to make a snide comment, so but you continue. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, there were there were two new forms that uh, were put in place this year. The eighty nine fifty nine deals with the first um, additional Medicare tax, and then the second one. Uh, was the 8960. It's quite involved when you get into that net investment income tax, the 3.8% rider there. So um, that's uh, hitting the tax return brand new for this year. Well, um, are there any... Uh, for, uh, we, we just wrote an article about the fact that uh, uh, small businesses want to spend over $3 billion over the next this year because of... Uh, uh, Microsoft's support of XP uh, goes away uh, on April 8th. But is there any new taxes that cut, that enable us to, to take the, uh, to somehow or other save money using uh, whenever we invest in new equipment or um, software? That, that's an excellent point. Um, there are two. Um, you call them enhanced uh, depreciation deductions that they were due to expire uh, at the end of 2012, but the government did carry them over uh, through 2013. And the first one is a 50% um, a bonus depreciation deduction on the purchase of new assets. So you buy a new asset, the government lets you write off half of it in the first year. And that, that applies to uh, the purchase of new, new assets. Um, and then there's a, um, a counterpart, Section 179 expense, and there's an elevated level, level where you can write off as much as $500,000 in the first year. That one was carried over as well. It was due to go down to um, a low level, like 25000 but the government kept it at an elevated $500,000 limit. And this applies to the purchase of not only new property, but used property as well. And this, this deduction can be taken in addition to the, well, you wouldn't depreciate uh, the same basis of the property, but the bo bonus depreciation and the 179 can coexist. And then if there's still an excess, that piece of the property that you did not depreciate, that would get normal depreciation over the course of the, um, the useful life. So there's, um, there's not been any real relief given to uh, uh, small businesses that you that you found outside of that, have you found anything? Uh, there, there are. I can go over some more items that have been on the books, and um, they continue. There haven't there haven't been any new provisions outside of the ones I mentioned. The the ones that I can continue to go through have been already been on the books for for a bunch of time here. Hmm. Do you do you think small businesses? Leaders are, are are really as versed in all of these as as they should be uh, uh, in terms of the the, the deductions that are available and the, the options open. You know that's a good question. I I think if they have a um, a good tax expert or accountant that helps them out, they should be aware. If they're doing these on their own, I think it just depends maybe on the software that they're using or the, uh, the expertise they have in this area. I think as a small business owner, it's, it's tough to wear all the, the different hats. So, um, and there's a quite a bit of items to keep track of here. So I'm not, if they're doing taxes on their own, I'm not sure how much they, would, they might miss out on. Well, I was surprised. 40, um, I saw a survey recently. 43% of small businesses under 10 employees do their own taxes. I'm sure you have That's a better figure, figures than I do, but I was surprised. <laughs> yeah, that that is interesting. Um, I guess um, if they're on a maybe a, a shoestring startup type budget, they might be trying to cut corners. Um, 
So uh, yeah, it's an interesting statistic. I don't know how valid it is. I, I just uh, just saw that. But um, now let's give a plug for Intuit for a minute. But um, if you have an Intuit program, um, uh, I, when you do your taxes, are there ways of pulling it up so that they they, they ask you the questions? Do you, did you do this? Did you do that? Yeah. If the if you use um, if you use TurboTax, uh, it does have a. And there are there are several several versions of the the product that that are available, and I believe they have a a, uh, a product for small business. And it is it is interview based, so that um, different questions come up based on different scenarios. I can't go into specifics, but um, yeah, they should be uh, telling you about the appropriate uh, deductions that that you're that you would be eligible for. Well, I might as well give you. I'll give you a plug because you are the like the number one source uh, of, of uh, business management. So, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, what else do you have for uh, for us? Let's see. Got some uh, some various items here. The, there's a um, a nice perk for startup expenses. Uh, the government encourages people to open a new business and allows them a $5,000 write-off for startup expenses. And that would include um, costs that, in, that include amounts paid either to create a trade or business or to investigate the creation or acquisition of a trade or business. Some examples, advertising the opening of a business, employee training, and running a market survey. Uh, the $5,000 deduction is reduced by the amount that your total startup expenses exceed $50,000. That's just a, a technical thing there. Any startup costs that are not allowed uh, to be expensed, you're over this $5,000 limit. You would then amortize them over a 15-year period. Well, um, Mike, we're, we're getting to the point where we should wrap up. What would be your last thoughts to uh, to listeners uh, what we would say is um, as we started out be sure to file all types of tax returns that would include federal and state income tax payroll tax sales tax make sure you do those on time to avoid paying any penalties to the government um, if you're confused or concerned about handling these tax issues on your own please seek out expert tax advice and hopefully we provided you with some helpful tips today. Well, I know I learned a lot, Mike, as usual with you. Uh, uh, I really appreciate you came on, came on tonight. And uh, I want to invite you back later on in the year. We can talk further. But really, thanks for a wonderful presentation. You're very welcome, and thank you for having me once again. I enjoyed it. Uh, have a good tax season, as the accountants say. Thank you, Don. All right. Our next guest should be Brett. Brett, are you on? I am, Don. Thank you for having oh. me. Brett Lauder, your CEO of Declutter. Are you going to give us some tips on how to better manage paperwork? Am I? Uh, am I right? An improved workflow? Uh, no, no, not uh, not not paperwork and not workflow. Sorry about that. Um, you know, it's how to um, kind of declutter your home and to get rid of some of the um, things that, especially physical media, that have been collecting in your attic or garage for. A while that you no longer need, and uh, an easy way to do that, so that your wife, girlfriend, spouse, husband, whatever, um, you know, doesn't doesn't give you a hard time anymore about that big box of DVDs and CDs and video games that's sitting there. Well, okay. Well, I have, first I have to tell you, uh, I could walk through a room and mess it up, and my wife is a neat nick. And uh, she puts up with me, but now, uh, now I remember uh, why you're on this program because you have an interesting new company. And uh, first, we, we always ask our guests first.
tell us a little bit about themselves personally before we talk about anything else. Uh oh, the uh, the personal question. <laughs> the so uh, yes, I am president of Declutter, um, and we'll talk more about the company. It's but just to uh, give you a quick background on that, I've I've been with the company. Um, almost a year. It's a UK company that has been very successful in the UK, and hopefully we can talk more about that. Um, but they're known in the UK as Music Magpie, um, declutter here in the US, and uh, they. So I've been head of the the company here, and but before that, I've always been uh, involved in startups uh, with large companies starting up you know, companies or subsidiaries within large companies, things like Home Depot, HomeDepot.com, um, or have done other companies like Wine.com here in the U.S., was chief marketing officer there, Outpost.com, which hit in Amazon, one of the first two e-commerce companies here in the U.S. I was head of marketing at Outpost um, and started my career it, with First Union, which became Wachovia, and then now Wells Fargo, so, but always doing entrepreneurial things, even in large companies, as well as doing startups. Grew up in uh, in the southeast, in Atlanta, Georgia, which is where we're, where Declutter is based here in the U.S., however, have moved all over the U.S., and, uh, and so... That's the quick and dirty of my background, if you will. Okay. And now, uh, as you talk about it, I, I realize now why you, we invited you on the program. So tell us now first uh, what the what clutter does. Now I remember, and now I know why you're on. So please. <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad there's uh, that the sparked some memory there. They, so declutter, it's a... It's a very, very interesting company and concept. Um, one I actually wish I had come up with it first, although I'm very happy to be a part of the company now. So the two founders, they founded it seven years ago in the U.K., and over the last five years, it's been one of the top uh, technology companies in the U.K. in terms of growth and so forth. Um, so started, they decided to come here about, a uh, year and a half ago, and so we've just recently formally launched. But the company started as, and it, it's known as a re-commerce company. And and what that re-commerce means is instead of, we're all used to e-commerce where we purchase items online, but this is where you can sell things online to a company, not necessarily like eBay, but you can sell lots of items at one time very, very simply and easily. And that's the crux of the company. So music, so what is declutter here in the U.S. It started as Music Magpie in the U.K. What we do is at declutter, you can go online, you can, or use an iPhone app that we have or an Android app, and for all those CDs, DVDs, video games that you have that you're no longer using, you can scan the UPC codes. We'll give you an evaluation that we'll pay you right then and there. You can scan them very quickly. Then after you've scanned all of those, you throw them in a box. We email you a free UPS shipping uh, label that you throw on that box. You ship it to us. We verify that what you've scanned in, we've received and we send you, and we're just about to launch direct deposit, and we'll send you those funds right away. And so it's very simple, very easy. It's scan it, send it, and then spend it in terms of the money that, that we send you. And here in the U.S., like I said, it's just the CDs or DVDs, CDs, and video games. In the U.K., we actually do electronics and fashion clothing, and we'll be adding those on to the mix here in the U.S. later in the year. Hmm. As I say, now I remember, and, and uh, that's why I was excited. But it's been a long week. Not, this that's week. the name hey. declutter. <laughs> uh, 
So, uh, if I understand it, if I have a, a old DVDs or old uh, uh, tapes, uh, uh, and eventually you're going to say fashion, I you can I can scan it somehow if I have a scanner, and then send it to you, and then uh, you you tell me what it's worth, and then uh, I send it to you in one box, and you get give me a check. Absolutely. And uh, but then the question: What do you do with it? So, you know, what we do is so very, very good question. So, a variety of things. So, most of the the items that we receive, we're able to refresh um, and make them almost new and then we can sell them through various channels. So those channels are a variety of online channels, wholesale channels. We sell them to, you know, online and, and wholesale to other countries um, within the U.S. or whatever. Um, for those items, and, and one of the keys, Don, is we don't want, as long as it's got a UPC code that is a UPC code that's uh, widely recognized, we want to we want to purchase it. So, you know, we may have a high inventory of something, but we'll still purchase. So we may purchase it, in, and it may be a a CD or a DVD that there's a high supply in the market, low demand. But we're still going to purchase it from you because we'd much rather we take it and do the right thing. And I'll talk about that. Then you throw it away and throw it in a landfill. Because to your question. What we'll do is we'll hopefully be able to refurbish that DVD or CD or video game to, you know, almost new and resell it. Or if not, we will recycle it. So we are a big recycler, a big green company, if you will, um, so that the DVDs, CDs, the cases, because... If you send us one that's in a broken case, um, you know, we will not resell it in a broken case. We will sell it with a new case, and all the broken cases we put into big bins, and then we have a recycling company we work with that will come and pick those cases and broken DVDs or whatever that we can't resell um, up weekly, and so they're made into tables and car headlights and, you know, uh, running tracks and so on and so forth. So so we either resell or we recycle. Huh. <clears throat> and you've been, you've been here for about a year, a year now? Correct. So we, we've actually launched, so the operation we set up, nearly a year ago, but it was really more about getting the operation going, the warehouse, the technology suited for the U.S., So, um, which is very important, I think, for new startup companies. Um, and, you know, I've, I've done this a couple times with startups and always tried to make sure the foundation operations are solid first. So we honestly, Don, didn't really do our formal um, marketing launch, if you will, to the consumer, to U.S. consumers, until the beginning of January, because we wanted to make sure we had the back-end operations all set up and in line um, before we started uh, going out there with our message. So it's okay. really only been about two months. Wow. Well, now... Because this is a program aimed at small business, uh, what advice, what have you learned in, these two, in, in this period that uh, you could pass on to our small business uh, uh, listeners? Yeah, so, you know, we, we're still a small business <laughs> here, and in, in I'll, I'll tell you, I've, I've learned a lot throughout my career, um, you know, like, like I'm, so in... You know, like I said, even even when I've been with 
Fortune 100 companies like Home Depot, I was building a small business within them. The, and so we can talk a lot about many learnings. I'll tell you the interesting learning that I've had in this one, to your question, is this is the first time I've um, launched a small startup business in the U.S. that was owned by or um, a subsidiary, if you will, of a uh, U.K. company. And it's been, there have been a lot of learnings for me there in that, you know, we, we share the same language. We share a lot of the same, you know, history going back, if you will. Um, you know, they, they uh, jokingly don't like it when we take off July 4th uh, for Independence Day. But, um, but, you know, there's still so many, even though we have the similarities, there's still, still so many differences. And it's been very interesting to me in the, from a, a startup small business and in, in working with them to help educate them and them educate me on the differences. For instance, if you don't mind me giving a for instance for you, um, the, um, I mean, and, and this is just an easy one. When they came over, and this is right before I came on board, and as I said, in the UK, they're known as Music Magpie. Uh, and I, and they kind of did a soft launch before I was here, um, before I came on board, and didn't get a lot of traction. And Music Magpie in the UK is very, very well known. In fact, we've done surveys, the company has, and with unaided awareness, Music Magpie is known above Amazon and eBay as the place to go for if you want to um, sell uh, previous owned goods. So great brand recognition there. But people here in the U.S., and including me when I was interviewing, I knew a magpie was some sort of a bird, but that was it. Um, but I came to find out during my interview it's a bird that's well known in the UK that collects shiny things, and that's why they use that term because you know discs like CDs and DVDs are shiny discs. But that doesn't translate here to the US. So I know that's a very um, basic type of difference, but it's very key for us. And so it just didn't translate. It wasn't. It the brand didn't translate well. So that's why as soon after I came on board, I changed the brand name to Declutter because here in the U.S., and that's Declutter without the second E, so D-E-C-L-U-T-T-R, uh, to make it a little different and fun um, for your listeners. But that's one of just the basic things that, you know, here in the U.S., the magpie didn't translate, and declutter is a much better name for what we're helping consumers to do is to declutter their lives. Well, see, so you confused me. But you know that all once <laughs> church of the line, uh, America and Britain are separated by a common language? Say, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't catch all that. Say that one more time. I'm sorry, Don. You know, Winston, Winston Churchill's famous line, America and Britain are separated by a common language. Yeah. <laughs> it is, and I'm a big Winston Churchill fan, so I do know <laughs> that thing. Um, uh, anyway, um, so you just named your, <clears throat> you've taught this, well, you've just named your site, we always like to do it. Uh, I want you to just stay on a minute, Brett, because I have someone else online um, with a 949 number and an open mic. Who's there? 949, Mike DiVolio is still on the line, Don. Oh, Mike, are you just listening in? Yes. Good. Uh, I, I'm, um, I'm, I, I'm glad you are. I just want to make sure... I, uh, uh, I guess that hadn't shown up, and I didn't know it. I hope you're enjoying the show, Mike. You certainly started us off well. Uh, thank you. Thank you. 
And now let's get back to Brett. Um, Brett, um, any other thoughts you'd like to uh, uh, tell our audience before uh, we let you go? So, you know, I, I know your audience is a small business audience. Um, and so the, you know, the, uh, the, the one thing that if I may impart that I've learned a lot from a small business perspective, and there, there are many things, and I continue to learn. <laughs> I mean, I just told you about and, and the brand piece with, between the U.K. and the U.S. is just one. But, but you know, um, probably more than anything is um, to, and, and I'm sure other people have said this, but to ensure that, and, and this is what I kind of got to uh, or mentioned before, is make sure before you, and I, unfortunately I've seen this with many small, small and medium-sized businesses, that they, uh, they launch prematurely. They launch before they have the foundation, their, the operations, their technology, their customer service already. doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but at least ready before they launch. And so they go out with a marketing brand uh, statement, if you will, and if you can't fulfill on that marketing and brand promise from the very beginning, I believe that you're destined to failure um, or at least to not be as successful as you wish you would have. And I've seen that in so many companies. Um, I've been lucky enough that um, at least I've been in a position in most of the startups I've done that uh, they've survived in one, one way or another, wine.com, outpost.com, even through the, the e-commerce bursting of the bubble, e outpost is now fries.com, that we did a good enough job to make sure we had the back end in place, customer service is key, and so that we could at least uh, fulfill on that promise. So, So that's just probably the last thing, uh, knowing your audience and your show, that, that I thought I'd mention, if that was all right. That, that was terrific. You never get a, set, a second chance to make a first impression, and you're so absolutely right. I mean, uh, perhaps the biggest example is uh, Obamacare and the launch of, uh, uh, of the GOAT site. I mean... Uh, Agreed. Uh, uh, you know, that will go down... In, in history, I think, with, along with the Edsel, as uh, something. But that what, that's a terrific. The, your website again? So it is declutter, that's D-E-C-L-U-T-T-R, no second E in declutter, dot com. And uh, thank you so much, Don, for, uh, for having me on. Oh, no, thank you. We want you to come back in a few months and tell us, about your progress and what you've learned since then. I hope you will. Be happy to. Anytime, Don. Thank you so much. And, and Mike, we're really glad to see you uh, and to hear you, and we want you back. Uh, our next guest um, is David, <clears throat> David Lang from HP. The cloud is posing a lot of problems and opportunities for small businesses today. Our next guest is, is David Lang. He's head of innovation for HP, the old Hugh Packard, and he's here to talk about what they're doing in that, this area to make it easier for SMBs to go to the cloud and to, to navigate the cloud. But as we always do with all our guests, we always ask them to say a little bit about themselves personally and how they got to where they are today. David, welcome to the program. Thanks. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. 
Now, tell us a little bit about yourself. Because, yeah, uh, so um, I grew up in Colorado um, and uh, made my way to Hewlett-Packard 20 years ago now from Indiana University's MBA program. And in the last 20 years here at HP, I've had a variety of different roles, everything from working with channel partners, uh, directly with our sales teams and customers, to developing new products and software solutions. And, um, you know, the latest role I have is I lead the innovation process for our laser jet printing business. And so I'm constantly looking at trends in the marketplace, our customers' needs, our technologies, I'm trying to come up with innovative new solutions to, you know, please our customers and beat our competition. Well, you uh, you do a good job. I've had my HP uh, printer for a number of years, and uh, it, it's a uh, the basic one, but it sure does the job. But uh, we'll talk about that. But let's talk about the products that you um, uh, and what you see happening and how it integrates into this vast new cloud frontier that most small businesses really don't want to go to but have to. Yeah, so we're introducing a new product here called the HP Color LaserJet 476 MFP. This is really our flagship uh, color MFP or multifunction printer for small businesses. We lead the industry in this category and sell many, many of them to, to small businesses every day. There's a couple of new things in that device that I think are really exciting for small businesses. The first one, as you mentioned, is its, is its, is its ability to connect to the cloud. I, I recently was uh, doing some customer research for my role, and I visited 12 different small businesses. And I was surprised to see that every single one of them was, was storing documents in one or another cloud document repository, like Google Drive or Box.net or YouSendIt or you know, other um, cloud-based repositories. And what's exciting about these devices is we have embedded connectors right in them that allow you to scan documents directly up to your Google Drive or Box.net account or HP um, con uh, Capture and Route solutions. And you then can browse your folders up in the cloud, select documents, and pull them down and print them right on your device as well. So we've made that connection for scanning up to and retrieving down and printing really, really simple. Well, the second well, thing we did with... Go ahead. No, keep going. Yeah, the second thing we did with these devices is we've really made a breakthrough in their ease of printing from your mobile computing device, whether it's your smartphone or your tablet. Um, we recognize that um, well, people have a lot of documents on those things, and many people don't even recognize that or know that they can print from them. And so we've really made a breakthrough in a couple of areas here that make them really simple to print uh, from those devices. We've had an, uh, the ability to print built right into the operating system of the Apple devices, the iOS devices, for some time now. But we're really excited this spring to announce that we've got an agreement now with Google and the Android operating system version 4.4 called KitKat to embed a print command right into that operating system. That allows you to, instead of having to have a, a separate app to do printing, you can print from whatever you're doing inside your phone right from the core operating system. So it makes it much simpler because we've eliminated that need for the app. The other thing that's neat is that these printers, this new 476 MFP, has its own short-range wireless networking capability built right into it. So you can connect to it. You discover and connect to it just like you would discover and connect to any Wi-Fi network. The printer has its own short-range wireless network. It reaches yeah, about 30 meters in most office environments. You discover it and connect to it from your settings just like you do for a Wi-Fi network. And then you're connected. And any time you come within range of that device, you're now connected to it. And then from your Android or iOS phone, you just hit print, and your documents print. So we've made it just as simple as printing from your desktop print PC anymore uh, as to print from your mobile device. Well, that's, a, that's exciting. A lot of, a lot of uh, small businesses have to give up their XP uh, soon because uh, Microsoft um, is uh, ending its support of it. So they're going to have to do some changes 
does it also connect up like to uh, I um, uh, 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 seven, eight, and nine? Uh, the yeah, we have always had print support embedded in the in the Windows operating system. So, whether it's a Windows Seven, Windows Eight device, you can print um, from those machines uh, very simply and easily as well. The breakthrough really was on the the uh, iOS and the Android devices, where we're now embedded it right in the in the in the operating system, so that you don't have to use a print app. So, what you're really saying is. Uh you're following the trend. We're almost taking small business off the desk and putting it into the, a tablet or even their, uh, their their smartphones today, and you're making them much more mobile, if I'm hearing you correctly. Yes. We recognize small businesses, people, are, you know, their work where they are, whether that's at home, whether it's in the car, whether it's at their customers' locations or back in their office. And we want to make sure that they can scan and print from any of those locations just as easily as if they were in the office. Well, um, having said that, what happens to the, your older printers? Like I have um, a LaserJet, um, uh, one of the first ones, 4D, or et cetera. I guess um, I, I'm going to have to come up with, um, and find something like that because I'm becoming increasingly mobile. Am I right on that? Well, you know, we, um, we announced a new uh, accessory solution that plugs into any of, our, uh, uh, any of 40 million HP laser jets that we've shipped since 2008 that plugs into the USB port on the back of the device and gives you that, that same wireless direct um, mobile printing capability that we just discussed. So if your if your laser jets since two thousand you know since you bought it if you bought it since two thousand and eight it should it should in two thousand and eight or beyond it should be supported with this new mobile print accessory from HP and give you that same experience that our brand new devices have out of the box without having to buy a new device. Well, that's terrific. Unfortunately, mine is. Uh, 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 if I really want to tell you, it's two thousand five. Uh, <laughs> I think it's time for a new device. Time for an upgrade. Well, it's great I, that it's still working so well, though, for you. Well, it's a, it's an HP product. What can I tell you? But I have to tell yeah. you a story. I, I was uh, I had <clears throat> one of the top people from Microsoft, and when I told them that my uh, uh, my desktop device I, I had also bought in 2005, he uh, he audibly gasped and said I had not upgraded. I said, no, I, I like my old device, <clears throat> but unfortunately I'm going to have to get rid of it because um, the support is going because I have XP. And now, now you're telling me I'm also going to have to do something about my printer as well. So it's, um, uh, it's time for change. What is HP doing to help the small business uh, make these changes? You know, great question. Um, I know it, it appears that, you know, it's a hard swallow to have to buy a new device, but the good news is the new devices are much lower cost per page than those older devices, and they're much more energy efficient. So for most customers, there's a break-even period on acquiring the new device, you know, and it depends on how many pages they print. But for most of our customers, it's right around two years. So you know, while it is a, an investment, it is one that will pay off for you because of the lower operating costs of the new technology. Well, it's uh, you're right, and uh, that's the argument to be made. But small businesses are low. If it ain't broke, uh, don't fix it. Is uh, mm -hmm. is their mantra? And uh, since we're a small um, we're a small business. It's um, uh, it's an investment we're, we're going to have to be have to make, and it's um, one um, uh, many of our listeners have to make. When I had uh, the Microsoft people on last uh, uh, last week, they uh, uh, they they indicated to us that uh, uh, it, the more efficient would 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 um, 
pay it back and, and again as you say two years but it's um, it's still it's a major investment for a lot of uh, SMBs and um, um, it, it's a time of change but what I wanted to say about it I never had as many people call in or email about that issue as uh, as was on that program that night all of them uh, saying the same thing um, when when um, you now you're on. I'm sure I'm going to get the same number uh, or more, more uh, emails on it. Uh, what is this new machine going to cost? What range will, will you put it in? Well, this new machine, the the Color Laser Jet Four uh, Four Seventy Six, costs um, five hundred and twenty nine dollars. Um, we have, but we have devices that range, you know, in price from from 199 all the way to you know several thousand dollars so depending on what the customers needs are we have a variety of price points um, you know that are you know for those devices and in general our portfolio is is designed with the lower price devices to support you know fewer folks and the higher price devices are designed to support large groups of folks and so you know, we can scale up and down based on what people are ready to spend and based on how many folks are going to be sharing their devices. Um, is the machine available now or soon? When will it be available? Yeah, so the machine uh, will be available on April 1st. Okay. And uh, uh, is, what do you do with your old machine? You know, that was a question someone someone uh, emailed me the other day about. What do I do with my old machine? Um, do I yeah. just We have a variety of recycling programs that can take your old machines back and your old, old ink and toner cartridges and ensure that they're recycled in the most environmentally sustainable way possible. And if you go to hp.com and click on our recycling programs, you can find the links to where to where to connect to those recycling programs. Uh, uh, I think that's important. Uh, I think I think that's important. I think it's an important point. Uh, if you had any advice for small business today, in terms of the cloud, in terms of your products or anything, what would you tell them? Well, I would tell them that your device that you have probably does a lot more than you realize. Uh, like I said, I was out researching, um, doing you know what we call customer immersions, where we go in and, and really study what customers do and how they interact with their printers um, last week. And what we saw is that people are generally not taking advantage of a lot of the capabilities that exist in their device. You know, there's a lot of really powerful features and functionality, some of which we've described here today about, you know, mobile printing, scanning to the cloud. Um, there are other features and functions inside that device that folks just generally aren't aware of. And um, I think that if they can take some time to just make a little investment in exploring the menus on the control panel system, I think they can find out that they have a lot of powerful capabilities in their, in their business tool that can help them, you know, accomplish things a lot faster. Well, uh, David, I really appreciate that you came on today. I, I know our uh, audience will, and uh, I want uh, I want to invite you back uh, uh, in a couple of months so we can talk about uh, how people are using your new machine and a little bit more about what's happening in the cloud. Sounds good. Look forward right. to it. Thank you again. Thank that you. Was Thank you for listening tonight. The cloud is posing a lot of problems and opportunities for Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. 
That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.